Welcome again. Welcome to all those online that are watching the service online. Nice to have you with us today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21 today. When we're looking at the book of Acts, we're looking at a glimpse of what took place in the early church. The things that were happening then are still happening today, just in a different way. And so when we uh, um, look at the life of Paul, when we look at the apostles, we can see that these are guys that were dedicated to what the Lord wanted and was doing in the early church. We're living in Acts, we just happen to be living in Acts chapter 29. Don't look in your Bible, it's not there. Uh, but we're, we're still living in the book of Acts. So, um, so this is a great thing for us to go back through and see what took place in the early church and how it still lives on today. If what they did in the early church didn't continue, we wouldn't be meeting here. It would be someone else here um, gathering together for some other reason, not for what we're gathered here for. Paul is now in Jerusalem. We're picking this up in verse 27, by the way. Uh, Paul is in Jerusalem. He had traveled back from Asia and he wanted to make it to Jerusalem uh, because he was going there for this celebration. He was going there for the holiday, Pentecost. And this is something that Jews did on these special occasions, these special holidays, they came in and they worshiped together at the temple. So remember when the Holy Spirit was given and all of those disciples were in the upper room, they received the Holy Spirit. They went out into the streets and they started sharing in other tongues in other languages so that the people could understand them because the people were from all over the place and they would share the wonderful works of God. And many people were saved on that day. 3,000 were saved on that day. It was a miracle. It's what God does. And so God can still do that today, by the way. If we go out of here and start speaking in tongues in the streets, we don't have to. Everybody speaks English pretty much, right? So we just have to go out and share the wonderful works of God. That's all we have to do, and people will hear it, and it will change hearts. So he agreed to pay the offering. He went into uh, the temple. He paid the offering for these four gentlemen. He wanted to show that he was a Jew still, and he still appreciated Jewish tradition. And so he went and took a vow, and with these four men that also took a vow, he went and paid for them to go through the process, and there is a sacrifice that needs to be done. He took care of all of that, showing that he still held to the traditions that were always there for the Jews. You see, the funny thing about Jewish tradition is that the Jews didn't even follow their own tradition. They made things up as they went. They changed things as they went. They weren't even, Paul was devout. Paul 
followed the law, but he also gave up one thing out of the law that many people would be offended by on the Jewish side. And that's, he didn't believe in a sacrifice for the atonement for sin, sacrificing an animal for that. You see, because there was a sacrifice for the atonement for all sin, for all time, and that's Jesus. So he wouldn't partake in that, but he still partook in the other Jewish traditions that didn't contradict the word of God. And so he was good with that, and that's what he was showing by doing these things. Today's message is titled, Prophecy Fulfilled. We continue our study through the book of Acts. In chapter 21, we're going to pick up in verse 27, where we read, Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. And so here, these Jews came together. They're from Asia. What were they doing in Jerusalem? Well, they were there probably for the same reason Paul was, to celebrate Pentecost. So here, they came together in Jerusalem, but they remember Paul from Asia. And they remembered the fact that he wasn't holding to all of what they believed up there and what they were trying to force on the people up there. They wanted to circumcise Gentiles. Remember, and Paul had sent to Jerusalem to find out what they said, the apostles said in Jerusalem, and they said, no, you don't have to do that. But they have to still abide by not worshiping idols and not uh, eating animal flesh with blood in it. And remember that from a few weeks ago. And so here, Paul is now going to have to address this because they're starting to attack him. They came here to attack him. Not They didn't come there for that purpose, but they happened to be there. And now they're going to start their attack on him. They knew what he was teaching. They heard it, but they didn't agree with it. And there are many people in the world today that don't agree with the teaching of the word of God. So what do they do if they don't agree? They change the meaning of the word of God. They alter what the word says. And then they come up with their own plans. Like, um, oh, an angel came down from heaven and showed me, you know, this new plan that he has. Everybody gets to be gods. But... It was because of my glasses, because he gave me these big glasses and I read these golden plates. And now we know the whole truth. And it contradicts what the word of God says. Or some believe that Jesus was Michael the archangel. That doesn't make any sense. That's not biblical. There's no scripture that supports what they say. Jesus is not the spirit brother of Lucifer, and they didn't have a fight over the earth in Lucifer 1. That isn't, that's what some 
people believe, and they read that out of the King James Version of the Bible. And that's what they believe. So, I'm not going to argue with them over those details. I'm going to argue with them over the truth of the Bible, the literal interpretation of the Bible. We can get caught up when we give up what the Bible says for what man says it says. And in many churches today, that still tends to be a problem. We pick it up in verse 28, where these men were now going to uh, attack him. They're crying out. It says, men of Israel, help. I love that. Men of Israel, help. What was Paul doing that they needed help? Why were they crying out for help? Was Paul doing anything to challenge them? Or No. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. Remember, they were in the temple, so in the temple mount. So he's talking about that. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And so here's this activity that's happening. They're going to do something. First of all, they cry out for help. Really? Paul, is by, uh, Paul was not a threatening figure, okay? He never attacked anyone physically. He, he attacked them with the gospel because he spoke the truth, and people will perceive that as being an attack on the Jewish faith. But it definitely was not. They tell the Jewish leaders that Paul defiled the temple by bringing in a Gentile. And that is a fact. If a Gentile were brought into the temple, they would have defiled the temple. This was the only Jewish law, religious law, that was able to be supported in the Roman court putting someone to death. If they defiled the temple, and that's why they brought this forward. Now, if a Jew murdered another Jew, that would be under Roman law, murder. And someone can be put to death for that. But we're talking about Jewish law. And as far as the Romans were concerned, Jews, you handled your own law, but when it came to capital punishment, they had to qualify what the capital punishment was for. Even for Jesus, they had to go before Pilate and they had to qualify why he was being uh, put to death. And so here was a, a problem that Paul was going to address. He was going to take care of this, but Paul didn't do anything. He had just gone into the temple with these four men that were going through a cleansing process, a Jewish tradition, and he was even paying for them to do it. They thought that he brought Trophimus into the temple. And because Trophimus was a Gentile, they assumed he brought him in by seeing him. Here's the problem with assumptions. There were no witnesses to this. 
So all you have to do is stir up enough people and get them on your side and you don't need witnesses. You just get enough people to say what you want them to believe and if you get enough people saying the same thing, people start believing it. Just watch the news. You know, you can get a whole nation to believe it. You can get a whole continent, you can get a whole world to believe something if you just say it with conviction. And that's what this man is doing. Help! Here is the man that's persecuting us with his words. He doesn't believe what we believe and he's causing trouble. Well, they were looking to stir up trouble for Paul. They really wanted to put him to death. It didn't matter if what they were saying was true or false. If they believed it, then that's what was important. Isn't that what the world is saying today? The world is saying you just have to believe it. Stay with your convictions. It doesn't matter if what you're, you can prove what you believe. Just stay with it. It's, you know, all roads lead to heaven. If you have a religion that you're part of and you just stay true to that religion, you know, God is going to honor that. There's nothing in the Bible that supports that viewpoint. There is one way to heaven, the man Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There aren't other options. Here's plan B. There isn't. So when we consider what the word of God is to us, it's either the truth or it's just a bunch of fantasy. And it's not one book written by one author. It's 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. But it is one person that actually wrote it, and that's the Holy Spirit. Through those men that this book is put together. And even the world recognizes that it's a piece of literature that can't be duplicated by men. It's just too perfect. It can't be even duplicated by a computer because there was the discussion about this some years back about could a computer come up with the words and, and the Bible and the way that it's laid out? Could, could a computer do it? No. Because the computer is written by men. All the language in a computer, it's all men generated. So it's the understanding of man. Can't wait till AI takes that over, right? What's AI going to do with God? You know, uh, because artificial intelligence, uh, for those of you that don't know what AI is, it, it's not the movie that was on TV, but... I guess it was, and, uh, but it's about artificial intelligence. And the thing is, is that artificial intelligence is still only as good as the people who created it. And so uh, we know that that's not something we have to be concerned about. God isn't using AI to reach people for, with the gospel. He's using the word of God. And it's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm not 
telling, you know, all of these things are important to us in recognizing where the church is today. This is where the church was 2,000 years ago with Paul. It, when I say the church, I'm saying uh, the Christian church back then, they were being assaulted not only by the world, but by the Jews, where they came out of. They, they came from the Jewish faith. And so here was the problem, is that they're trying to do the right thing. They're just doing it the wrong way, uh, the Jews. So there are going to be people in your life. If they aren't here today, they've been probably in your life at some point, or they will be in your life at some point, that falsely accuse you of something. And it's not fun to be falsely accused of anything because you just want to scream, hold on, that's not true. Well, this is what Paul is dealing with right now. They're falsely accusing him of something that there are no witnesses to. And so this is really bad. This happens when gossip rules the day. When people decide to talk about someone based on something they heard from someone else, and now we're going to make a whole story out of this. Oh yeah, I remember when they said this. And, and we can just weave a whole story that discredits someone's character. And it's happening still today. It happened back then. All they needed were two or three false witnesses to agree on anything. And then that would be a fact. It would be taken into court and it would be a fact because two or three false witnesses said, this is the way things are. I'm not telling you this because I want you guys to start looking for false witnesses. I'm telling you this because I don't want you to become a false witness. I don't want this to be something that you would entertain in your own life. It's very easy to do. Because all you need is some credible people to make a statement about someone. And the next thing you know, they are discredited. And you go along with it. Here's the way I look at things. Give everyone a measure of grace, first of all. Second of all, check with them. Find out, what, if, if you really care that much, there are some people, I don't care if you say that's what's going on in their life. I know them. I know their character. I've never seen what you're reporting is part of their character. So I'm not even going to pursue that. Unless you have evidence of some sort, I'm not going to pursue that. I don't want to even, if I go and start confronting someone about something somebody said about them, you know, it's going to hurt them. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to love them. And I will let the Lord work that out if that's what the case is. That's the way we're supposed to be acting as the church. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes people have ulterior motives, you know, and it almost becomes a political thing within the church. 
We need to avoid that as children of the living God. So always give the person the benefit of the doubt when you hear things like this. So here's more of the story from the Jewish leaders from Asia as we pick it up in verse 31. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Well, that was nice of them. And then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. And when they could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. So here is this attack on Paul. They weren't able to ascertain what was going on. It says when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after crying out, away with him. There is another story that is very similar, except instead of saying away with him, the term was crucify him. It was the same story though. It was a mob that didn't know what they were there for, crying out for the crucifixion of Jesus. And they were just as confused. So let's go through this one piece at a time. Verse 31, they were seeking to kill Paul, it says. And why? For bringing a Gentile into the temple. That was the only reason they could come up with because they knew that was a death penalty for bringing a Gentile into the temple. In verse 32, the commander of the garrison shows up and they stop beating Paul. That tells you something. If they stop beating Paul, it's because they knew what they were doing was wrong. And they stopped beating him at that point. The commander should have tried to bring peace and rest. But once again, these are now the garrison uh, was the Antonio Fortress up there on the Temple Mount. There was up to a thousand men assigned to that Antonio Fortress. They weren't all there at one time, but there were a thousand men assigned there. So when this happened, it's right next to the Temple Mount. And so when this happened, they ran and these leaders ran down with soldiers and they calmed the mob down very quickly by running onto the Temple Mount to see what was going on. Paul then in verse 33 is bound, assuming his guilt. Well, they're beating him. He must be guilty for something. So let's bind him. Before we find out what's going on, before we stop what, what's happening here, we're going to bind him. And then in verse 34, the mob couldn't get the facts straight. Uh, some were saying one thing. Some were saying another. They weren't even sure why they were beating Paul. But it seemed like just a good thing to do. Hey, 
you know, let's, let's beat this guy because I want to be part. Here's, here's the problem with mobs. They just want to be part of the whole, part of the larger group of people. You know, look, those people are all saying something happened and they're all beating him. So let's all get involved. I want to get a punch in. I want to be part of this so I can feel like I'm part of the greater mob. And, and, and that's, people still do that today. They follow a larger voice because, you know, how, you know when this happens? Actors on TV. They, have you ever seen an actor do a commercial for, you know, a special interest group and stuff? And they, and they say things as if, you know, it's like Tom Cruise, you know, explaining what it's like to be in a dogfight with, you know, the Russians or something like that because he filmed Top Gun, you know, and, and, and so he's the guy I would go to for, you know, the, this information. He would be the one that would tell me what I need to know. But that's what people fall into. They see an actor that has credibility, and if they say something, people thought, oh, well, he would know. I mean, you know, actors are so out of touch with reality. They are some of the people that are on earth that are the most out of touch with reality. Them and politicians. I mean, you know, I wanted to become a politician so I can become rich. Because that, it, it seems like that's hand in hand. If you become a politician, you know all the inside stuff and you can invest in the right places and you become wealthy. And I have found that all of the wealthy people that I know, and when I'm talking wealthy, I'm talking stinking wealthy, um, all of those people, they're not very happy. I found that the people that are the happiest are the people that know Jesus the people that have peace in their lives through Jesus Christ. That's where true happiness is. So it doesn't matter how much money people have, you know, where they live or any, that doesn't really matter. Jesus matters. And when we have peace in Jesus, we're good to go. You know, and, and all of these other things don't have the influence in our lives that they have in other people's lives. And people, you know, make these commercial special interest groups form so that they can push an agenda. Here's my agenda, getting people saved. I have an agenda. Everyone does. My agenda is to preach Jesus Christ so that everyone can be saved. I'll come right out and say it. It, it, you know, if Tom Hanks wants to pay for a commercial for me to get on TV and say that, I'll do it. Because I believe that's the most important thing a person needs to know. Everyone can make their own decision. But that's something that everyone needs to know. So here, the mob is crying. They're still attempting to injure him. And th in verse 35, when he reached the stairs, they had to be carried because of soldiers, because of the violence of the mob. They're still trying to hurt him while they're carrying him away 
And in verse 36, for the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. They cried away with him and they still don't know why they want him dead. They're just doing. Now, here's the interesting thing. Where are the guys that accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple? Where are they? Why didn't they say to the garrison commander, oh, well, he brought a Gentile into the temple and there's the Gentile. I saw them. No, he couldn't say that because he didn't see it. He assumed. And because of that, no one is speaking up as to why this ruckus was. This was the same problem that happened in Ephesus, remember? With the temple of Diana up there. And they all came into the, the, the arena and they were all shouting, great is the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. And they did that for two hours. That's because they didn't have football back then. Otherwise, they would have been at the football game. So here, the temple being defiled, it was something that was important, but it didn't happen. Notice they locked the temple doors. Now, I want you to understand, if they locked the temple doors, that means no one can come out or go in to the temple. What about the celebration? What about this big celebration where they're going to be sacrificing? They're going to be having all the ceremonies and everything. So this person, these people that came from Asia that started this have now interrupted Pentecost. They interrupted the celebration completely because once the temple is defiled, what does it take to undefile the temple. You have to go through a ceremony that requires a red heifer to be sacrificed and then the blood of the red heifer to be sprinkled on uh, the seat, the mercy seat, and then cleansing the temple with the blood of the red heifer. That's the only way the temple can be undefiled and purified and cleansed. By the way, last month, five red heifers were delivered from Texas to Israel. The first time there have been red heifers available since 70 AD. And they were just brought there as prophecy. Prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Verse 37. Then Paul was about to be led into the barracks. And he said to the commander, may I speak with you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Well, he just spoke to him and said, can I speak with you? And obviously he was speaking Greek because the commander understood what he said. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. And so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands 
uh, his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying... So here he is. He gets up there on the stairs and he waves to them and they quiet down. They shut up. That in it of itself is a move of the Holy Spirit because they were ready to kill him. Why would they listen to him since they were ready to kill him? If the commander got up there and waved his hand, I can understand. Okay, hold on. We need to shut up for that guy. But for Paul, they were ready to kill him. And so here he gets up and I believe the Holy Spirit calmed the heart of the crowd at that point. You see, Paul knew what he was going to say. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe he just was winging it. But he had something to say. Everywhere Paul went, he had something to say. But it wasn't a different message every time. It was the gospel that he shared every time. And he loved, remember, every time he went on his missionary journeys, he would go to the synagogue first. He wanted to preach to the Jews because they were his people. And he wanted to see his people saved. He he even wrote, I would give up my own life if they would become saved, if they would become believers. I would give up my own life for that. But they weren't doing it. And he would go from place to place, from synagogue to synagogue, and then they would chase him out, and then he would go to the Gentiles. And that's what he did in Ephesus. He was there for at least two years in the school of Tyrannius, teaching daily the gospel to the people there. And it says that the word went out to all of Asia, from that school, from that place where Paul taught. And so Paul already knew what the message was. He was well gifted in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere that he went. And he knew what the people needed to hear. You know how I know that? He was driven by the Holy Spirit. So today I'm teaching out of this chapter. This is what you need to hear because this is where we are. And the Holy Spirit says this is what you need to hear. And so I read the scripture, but it's the Lord doing the work in the hearts of the people. I don't even know if you actually hear what I'm saying. Um, Because sometimes I go back in the video and I watch it and I say, Oh, did I say that? (laughs) Or I say to myself, oh, I said that. You know, so I understand that it's the Holy Spirit that ministers to the heart of the people. Paul tells this commander he was a Jew from a friendly city, that he wasn't a threat. And the commander gives him permission because he wanted to hear what Paul had to say. So he was assuming Paul was going to get up there and start speaking, but he spoke in the language of the Hebrews. And so the commander didn't understand what he was saying. It wasn't clear to the commander what Paul was actually telling the crowd. We don't know, we'll find out next week, what Paul was saying to the crowd. 
that's why we go verse by verse through. We, we just, it's like, you know, the old soap operas from the 70s, you know, find out next week what happened to James. <laughs> so, so we close considering that the persecution was not foreign to Paul. This wasn't something that he was like, oh, I'm getting persecuted. He already knew. He knew in Ephesus. He knew as he took the boat trip and then as he was on a, a boat, he got in trouble. They were going to try to kill him in Syria. And, the, and so he kept coming back through uh, to uh, Troas and he was warned again by different prophets. Agabus told him, hey, you're going to be bound, your hands and your feet, you're in trouble. And Paul said, you know, why are you guys crying about this? I know that this is going to happen, and I'm ready to go to Jerusalem and die if I have to there. And so Paul had an attitude that no matter what takes place, it's in God's hands. And sometimes we have trouble with that in our own lives. Where we don't see that whatever happens in our lives is also in God's hands. Sometimes we try to take control back and say, well, I want to do it this way. You know, and then after we try to do things our way numerous times, and we realize, okay, this isn't working then all of a sudden we become sensitive to the Holy Spirit and he says, okay, now do you want the answer? Now do you want to know what to do? Yes, Lord, I do. What do I do? But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is going to tell us the way that's easy. Sometimes it's not easy. Paul knew that he was going to be persecuted. He heard it from Jesus himself. Jesus told Ananias, I am going to tell Paul what he is going to have to suffer for my name's sake. And so Paul already knew what was going to happen. He spent time with Jesus personally in the wilderness and he learned everything that he needed to know. See, Paul had a lot of information. He had a lot of knowledge. He spent years studying under Gamaliel, who they knew the Old Testament word perfect, but they didn't know the truth. They only knew legally what the Old Testament said through their law, through their understanding, through their teachers, their scribes, their priests, that's what they understood, but they were wrong. They didn't understand the Messiah. They didn't understand what the Old Testament prophecy said about the Messiah and how he was going to have to suffer. He is going to set up his throne, but he was going to die first before he did that. And so they didn't understand that. Paul when, well, he was Saul at that time, when his eyes were open to the truth, Jesus fit all of it together for him and shared with him in the wilderness. This is what, so he was able to go and share that with everyone else. This is the truth. Look, here's what it says in Isaiah 53. Here's what he meant. 
And so it's prophecy that was fulfilled. We live in a day where prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Some people struggle with that. Some people don't want to hear about the rapture. Oh no, don't tell me all of that stuff that's going to happen. I'm just going to keep living my life for the Lord. I, I live for the Lord. Praise the Lord. Live for the Lord, please, because we're told to. But we're also told when you see these things, look up because your redemption draws near. What things? Well, we're seeing them take place right before our very eyes. Israel becoming a nation was the biggest sign preparing us for the last days. It was the sign that started the wheel rolling and now it's not going to stop. Normal is not coming back. This is normal. Jesus is coming back. And so we have the good news. We know he's coming. Don't know what day. If I knew the day, I'd tell you. If I told you, I'd be a liar. Because no man knows the day or the hour, right? But we know the season. And the season is told to us in the descriptions of what we can expect to see in the last days. You know what we can expect to see? Climate change. There, oh, you don't believe me. If you read the book of Revelation, there's going to be some climate change. There's, it's going to get hot. The sun is going to be blocked out and all kinds of crazy things are going to happen. But it's not going to be caused by man. It's going to be caused by the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. Here's the good news. I don't care if you're pre-trip, mid-trip, or post-trip. Because if you're mid-trip or post-trip, you're wrong. But here's, here's what I, I want to explain. Uh, but you can believe whatever you want. Here's the thing. God is not going to pour his wrath out on his people. He never has. And he never will. And so that's why I'm a pre-trib believer. And I believe all prophecy points to the rapture of the church being the next event that's going to take place in our world. And it's being prepared before our very eyes. I watch the news. And when I watch the news and I hear the things going on, I'm like, man, this is just setting us up for the rapture of the church. You know, the Agenda 2030, I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, the World Economic Forum and, and all of those. But they're planning on what the world is going to look like and all of the things that they want to implement by 2030. Agenda 2030. If you haven't heard of it, look it up. Look up what the plan is that they plan to implement. I am not trying to get you focused on that. Here's why. We're not going to be here. Okay? That we won't be here for Agenda 2030. I don't know when the Lord's coming back. But I know that he's not going to let Agenda 2030 be executed while we're still here. Because it directly opposes everything that God is doing on the earth and everything that he plans on doing, it opposes his word. 
And so I believe that that's the story. My opinion, if 2030 comes and we're still here, please let's get together and we'll talk about it. Because it used to be Agenda 2021. They just changed it to Agenda 2030. For years, it had been Agenda 2021. So why am I talking all this political stuff? Not because I think we should focus on it. Just the opposite. We need to focus on Jesus. That's where our hope is. Our hope isn't in an agenda. Our hope isn't in a government. I don't care if all of your favorite politicians are elected this year. Or, well, <laughs> that won't happen. Um, in two years. Let's say in two years, all your favorite politicians, the ones that you think are going to bring the world back into sanity, are elected in two years. They're not going to solve any problems. The problem is spiritual. It's not physical. It's not economical. It's spiritual. The problem is spiritual. And we are living in a time where people don't want to know what the Holy Spirit is doing. They are against the Holy Spirit. They're not against you. They're against the Holy Spirit. By the way, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And so when people come against you like they're coming against Paul, remember it's not personal, it's spiritual. They don't want to hear any of the good news of Jesus Christ. They want you on board with their plan. The stuff I see going on in schools when they're taking kids in second grade and having them change their gender this is insanity. It's, it's insanity. If this happened 20 years ago, people would be in prison for a long time. And But now, it's just part of life. And people are okay with it. That's a sign of the prophecies that we can expect. The world will call good evil and evil good. And this is what we can expect to happen. And so we're living in a day where we can have the most impact in the world around us because we shine the light of Jesus in the darkness of the world. And you don't need a lot of light to shine when it's dark. And so the darker it gets, the more we stand out. And the more it makes us a target. So be ready be ready. You know what? This isn't anything to fear. It, it really is not. It's a time for us to take joy in the fact that we know God's got it all under control. He's already got a plan. I've read the whole book. You know, I'm like Paul Harvey, you know, and, and I know what the end of the story is. Here it is. Let's read it together and be excited for when it comes. So we're living in these biblical days, the last days, and since we've been made aware of these truths, then we should look up because our redemption is drawing near. Amen. Amen.